0: Good morning, again, our passage, we actually are going to look at John chapter 8. If you'll turn there, we'll we'll look through that passage. But we're looking at uh, the the text behind the sermon is obviously uh, the ninth commandment, and it's in your bulletin, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so as we've gone through the Ten Commandments, the last several weeks, we've dealt with these really specific application points of the Ten Commandments. And what we've been saying is that the Ten Commandments flow out of the two aspects of the law, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. And and so what we're finding is these four that we're in are describing how to love our neighbor, or they're showing us how we don't love our neighbor. And some words that you might think of, we had murder, adultery, stealing, and now lying or slander, how do you want to word it? You really have with these four power sexuality possessions and really reputation that's the, what we're after this morning and so I'm hoping that we'll find um, some some truth in this commandment that we didn't already know is there and so as we prepare for that we're going to look at a, another passage that really kind of dovetails with it nicely from John chapter 8 so if you would turn there in your Bible We'll look at verse 12, and I'll show you where we're going to end up at verse 31, but I'll I'll explain as we go. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I, am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I came from and where I'm going but you do not know where I came from or come from and where I'm going you, you judge according to the flesh I judge no one yet even if I do judge my judgment is true for it is not I alone who judge but I and the father who sent me in your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. I'm going to jump now to verse 30. Um, It says, As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And then verse 31, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham. And have never been enslaved to anyone how is it that you say you will become free just a quick aside isn't it interesting I mean we're studying the life of Moses the children of Abraham did go into slavery they went into Egypt for 400 years in slavery and they've been rescued so just easy to miss that also it's possible some people would wonder wait if they believed why are they asking this question And the two possibilities are, one, they sort of believe, they're in the process of believing. Or another likely option is, within the group, there are those who believe, and then there are those few that were still naysayers and sort of challenging him. So verse 34, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free Indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we long for freedom, but Father, so often we define that as having what we want. I pray this morning we would see that freedom as having what you want and what you desire. Holy Spirit, I pray you would open our eyes to see freshly how from this ninth commandment we might run to you, longing for truth and being set free. In your name we pray. Amen. I uh, grew up watching way too much television. And one of the shows I remember watching the cartoons was Scooby-Doo. And we didn't really let our kids watch a ton of it when they were young because there was a lot of scariness in it. But as they got older, of course, when you would think now it's okay, they didn't like it. Um, but I do remember, um, and it was they watched it. I remember, that, and I had to kind of look up some of the details, There's always a pattern. There was the, first of all, you had the mystery going on. And the mystery gang, they're going to solve the problem. And the problem was um, always that there was some sort of monster, some sort of, remember, it was like a, it could be anything from a ghost to a witch to some, maybe a Yeti was on the loose. And then they, they had to try to find clues and discover why this monster was in existence and why it was doing, wreaking the havoc. And eventually they gathered all the clues and they set a trap. Often Shaggy and Scooby would fall into the trap and then they had to set a new trap. But in the end, they would tie the monster up or whatever it was, and there was always the reveal. Remember the reveal, I and mean, the head, the helmet comes or whatever, the mask comes off, and it was always the innocuous, like the innkeeper, you know, or the mayor, how would the, the principal, of the school, whatever it was, and then you know, and oh, I feel so ashamed, and then they explained why they went into all this elaborate scheme, and it was usually to cover up some problem, something they were doing sinfully, right? something they were doing wrongly. Like, we had this scam, and and so I thought if I dressed up like a monster, I could fool everybody. Well, wow, what an introduction to a sermon. But that's what we do. Okay, maybe we don't dress up like yetis. Some of you probably tried that. But we lie. We bend the truth to cover our reputation. We have something we want to protect about ourselves, and it's usually not even a great thing. And so we resort to... Distortion of truth. We put on a mask. And if we're really honest, unfortunately that's not a, a rare occurrence in our life. And for many of us, it might be the actual way we live every moment. we're desperately hiding behind an image. We're hoping to, to pull one over on everybody. Well, you, we don't get to pull one over on God. And what the Gospel teaches, excuse me, is that in Christ, we can actually embrace the truth. In that scripture, you know, um, I abide in my word and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I think for many of us, we're afraid of the truth because we're afraid of what it reveals. But in Christ, the truth really will set you free because you can finally be honest. You can finally not only be honest about who you are in the flesh, but then you can actually receive Christ as he is. And grow in Christ and that's what we're gonna look at how we can be truthful so we're gonna just go as I've been doing to the other commands we're gonna unpack it we're gonna start with the actual uh, ninth commandment and, uh, and move on from there into how it really comes out of the heart so we're gonna start with this this idea of, of, of spreading a false witness right so so in, as we look at the Ten Commandments what we've tried to do is understand you have the original idea the original meaning and it's important that we grasp it, but even in its original context, there's a spirit behind it. There's something farther and deeper and bigger than just a few words. And we want to keep that in focus, but right there in, in Leviticus, we have... Okay, I've got to move around my passages. We have, or excuse me, right there in Exodus, we have this idea of, of, of a court of law. And this is where every commentator agrees the wording in the Hebrew language there. It's, it's really lit, lit, litigious. It's, this is what is going on in a courtroom. And so, in America, we love legal, we're pretty litigious, we do a lot of lawsuits. But they did more. Remember the, the chapter, Exodus, uh, the few chapters just before Exodus 20, when Jethro, the father-in-law, shows up, what was Moses doing? Moses was hearing cases. Here they had gathered at Sinai. And Moses, his, his time is completely used up in hearing all these problems and cases of judgment. And so it was Jethro's advice, that was, hey let's, why don't we have elders and, and, and kind of have smaller groups where they hear the basic cases and the serious stuff can move up the chain. And so in that culture, when you had a problem, you went to the gate where the elders would meet and you'd bring your case. And you didn't have forensic evidence, so you didn't have, you know, fingerprints and DNA, etc., so, really, the witnesses mattered, right? And, and what the witnesses said, especially if there were two, would often seal the case. There's the story from um, 2 Kings where, where uh, Ahab, excuse me, yes, Ahab, the bad king, wanted to have Naboth's vineyard, right? He wanted it for his own, and his wife, um, Jezebel, was evil, and she noticed he was depressed and said, Why are you depressed? Just take the vineyard. I'll just take care of it for you. So what did she do? Her method of getting the vineyard transferred from this person, Naboth, to, to the king, was she went and found two false witnesses. She found basically two lowlifes, according to the scripture, that's how it words it, and said, you two are going to go present this false witness and tell the, the elders that the owner of the vineyard had been blaspheming and had basically not believed in God. He, he condemned God and walked away from God. So they go and they present that argument, And on that argument alone, the owner of the vineyard, Naboth, is executed. And the ownership of the vineyard goes to the king. So it's just an example of how serious this commandment really is, right? That people can really shatter your reputation by just saying something falsely. Now, it doesn't take long in Scripture for to actually move beyond just presenting a legal argument. In Leviticus, why did I do this to myself? There we go. Leviticus 19. You have a few examples of how this moves beyond the courtroom. 19.11. You shall not steal. Okay, that's last week. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. So now we're moving from just a courtroom setting to actually general lying. And the idea is, if you're going to lie in a courtroom, you probably already lie. Right? You don't just all of a sudden lie in a courtroom. It's probably part of your character. And more importantly, that the heart behind this commandment, do not bear false witness, is the commandment to not lie in general. So there's not very many liars in our group, right? So that's the good news. So I'm just going to talk to the few of you. We'll raise your hand. I can dismiss the rest. and we can just have our... He goes on to say... That was you know, my attempt to find my next passage. The next verse, you shall not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. And so what you have right there in Leviticus is an expanded commentary on our commandment saying that it's really sins of the tongue, right? Lying, changing the truth, bending reality. That's the problem. And so we think of James, um, the very famous passage in James, chapter 3. I also have that printed out here. Where James, I mean, opens up a whole can of worms when he says that we all stumble with the tongue. Right? Listen to what he says in verse 3. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect. So James is not saying some of you. He's saying all of you stumble in this way. Also, the man who is able to bridle his tongue can bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies. In other words, the tongue guides the entire creature. Right? How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And set on fire by hell. So, when you have, want some light reading, turn to James chapter 3. With it, and this is where he really exposes us all with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. This is a sin that's been on my heart a lot. Um, I think, and I know, I know, we're all guilty of this. We are all guilty of I, not just lying but ruining the reputation of somebody through our line. We all do this. And James is not just talking to a few of us. We do this for various reasons, but what I want to bring our attention to is this idea of, like, caricatures. How many of you have got a caricature hanging in your house? Do they ever look like you or the kids? They don't, do they? But when you see a well-done caricature, and I, I've actually tried, I know Brent's probably done caricatures. I, I know you have. You do it every birthday. I've tried caricatures, and what you're supposed to do is you look at the features, and you pick the worst feature, right? That guy's got huge ears, okay? And then you draw huge ears. Now, if the eyes are actually okay, or even attractive, you just draw those normal or even less. So you're, like, maximizing the negatives, but minimizing the positives in such a way that someone would go, oh, that looks like Obama, but Obama would look at that and go, I hate that drawing. And this is what we do. This is a way that our tongue can defile people. Let me give you an example. If you if you were part of a situation where you've been called into court because there's no Smiths in the room, I don't think is there. So I'll use Mr. Smith came to the office one hour late on the morning of whatever crime or issue, and you know about that, and you're on you're at the trial. You're not on trial. You're at the trial, and you have to answer: Is it true that Mr. Smith came in one hour late? And you want to bear a true witness. It is true that Mr. Smith, on the morning in question, came in at nine o'clock instead of his usual time at eight o'clock. Is that okay? Of course. Context. But on at the lunchroom, the day of the problem, like now that everyone knows there's a problem, there's a crime or whatever happened, and Mr. Smith showed up late. You're at lunch, and you said, "Hey, guys. Guess what? What? Today, Mr. Smith didn't get to the office till nine o'clock. He usually is there at eight o'clock." Every word is almost identical. But what's happening is outside of the law court, you are now bringing the same information, truth, but you're using it in a wrong context. And in just a simple thing like that, you can inject a judgmentalness. You can inject an actual rendering of judgment on the situation, can't you? Does that make sense? So like the caricature, that looks like the ears. That looks like the eyes. That looks like the eyebrows. But the way we're doing it can often deform the person, defiling their nature, defiling their character. So I'm very concerned that the church is the best at this. That we, because we're Christians and we have the truth and we have scripture and we even confess our sin, we think we hold the beacon to confessing other people's sin. And as long as it's true, we can do it. When I became the pastor here, many people wanted to come tell me about everybody else. And it was awkward, because I'm, on one hand, I needed to know information, like, that family homeschools, that family does this or that. I shouldn't have even picked that one, The Shylers aren't sitting here, so we um, But the point was, I remember at times going, should I know that yet? Should I not know that? And it reminded me of when I sold books door-to-door. And uh, one summer, I sold books door-to-door. You can judge me, and then I'll condemn you, because that's not what you're supposed to be doing. And I remember one of the things we were supposed to do, this is really going to sound honorary. but we had to you know, talk to the person at the door, and it, let's say we've either made the sale or that they're not really a, a customer but we're in a conversation, which is a miracle for a door-to-door person. I was in college, by the way. Um, and, and when you're done with that conversation, you're supposed to look down the street and get information on people. And what you're trying to find out is where are the, young, where are the families? I don't want to ring the doorbell of all the retired folks who want to talk to me for an hour, I want to keep moving to the family. So, you know, hey, is that gray house, what's going on there? And what was so interesting is people, this is really one of the funnest parts of my job, I hate to say it, they would say, oh, you don't want to go over there. You know, they're, uh, they're not nice. I think he hits his wife. You know, they had something. And you're like, what? And I always took it as a challenge. It was like, you know, here's the funniest one. They'll never buy from me, trust me. They have four kids, five kids. They, they need it because we had these little books for kids. They're never going to. And I took that as a challenge. And so I'd go straight to that house. I'd say, she said they're never, you're never going to buy from me. Okay, I didn't do that. But what I wanted to go find out is, are you as bad as they said? You know? And in a small town, I, I worked some small towns, you would get a lot of dirt and gossip. And it just kind of made a mundane job more fun. But what I realized is we really do peg people and label people. And it's not okay. But it's not okay not just because it's not true like well in this case it's true he really is a mean dad or whatever that's not the reason the reason is we are not the ones allowed to judge in Matthew 7 Jesus in a very famous place says judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured to you that's one of those passages makes you go is it not by grace is it now by my conduct no it's not it's still by grace what Jesus is saying is a couple of things number one kind of like when he says love your neighbor as yourself is he promoting self-love let's play that out for a moment if I love myself and I were you I would want to give you all my stuff aha so I'm going to give you all my stuff but wait you know, it forces you to kind of see your sin doesn't it it forces you to play it out and go so going back to judgmentalness, well, I'm going to judge you like I want to be judged, which means if I have a right view of myself, I'm going to give you a lot of leeway. But what if, they har- what if you have harmed me in some way, and I have a real reason to judge you? Well, I still have to give you leeway, because that's what I would want, because that's what I need by the gospel, isn't it? And so Jesus goes on and says this fascinating thing. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. And the principle he is laying out is simply this. You have never rightly judged anybody. It's impossible. Because you have a log sticking out of your own eye. Now let me be clear. We definitely are able to say this is a type of sin. And if you're engaging in this sin, then that is wrong. But what we're never allowed to do is classify people. Last night, Bonnie would start crying because she got in trouble. She said, I'm an awful person. And it was really cute. And we both went, no, 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 you're not awful. Uh, but what we said was, I, uh, this may sound so dumb, it, what you do might be awful, but you're not awful. Do you see the difference? When a person wrongs me, that they may have actually wronged me, but they're not. That, that's not their label right now, right? They might, it, first of all, it might be me. Maybe they didn't do anything wrong. So often I tell Emily, you know, let me know if I'm being sensitive. This is an issue I'm bothered by. And often she'll have to say, I think it's you. No, I'm not talking about our marriage. I'm just mean like if I had a, a conversation and I got offended or something. It's a good sounding board. I think that's just you being overly sensitive. I'm like, oh, that's so frustrating because I thought I was right on on this one. Um, so often it's us, but even when it's not us. Even when there's a clear wrong, we are called to not judge. And what we're, what we're going to transition to now is why we do it, and it's because of the heart. We judge because we're trying to cover ourselves. We judge. The reason you judge with the log in your own eye is instead of having to confess your sin before the Lord, I've got this huge log. It just seems easier to ignore it. But now you're a log expert. And you see somebody else, and you go, I know where my log started. It started with a speck, just like the one I see in you, out of my one good eye. You know? And now I'm a master at coming to you and showing you how this is going to develop into a log, but I've forgotten completely that I have a log. So our hearts are the seedbed to this kind of judgmentalness and false understanding of people. Um, and the, and Psalm, nine, let's see, Psalm 19, I was reading it, on, or Psalm 15, excuse me, It's just a beautiful place where David says, "Oh Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right. And listen to this, and speaks truth in his heart. Are you speaking truth in our hearts about our brothers and about our sisters? If all we're doing is fixated on how someone hurt our feelings or wronged us, or even did something tragic toward us, or someone else, and we just, that's what we get fixated on. Are we speaking truth in our hearts? And of course the answer is no, because we're not, do- we're doing two things wrong. We're not examining their good qualities, right? Before I tell you about the bad thing about Mr. Smith showing up at 9, let me tell you all the great things about Mr. Smith. No one does that, right? We, we just tell the negative. We just draw the big ears. See, if you drew the whole picture and you made the eyes bigger, right? The caricature, and you make the neck normal and the body not tiny like a peanut, then you draw the ears kind of accurately. They're gonna look fine all of a sudden. I had to pick a feature that nobody minds having. Okay, I didn't want to pick some feature. Someone's like, he's talking about me. That's what my hair looks like. Are you speaking truth into your heart, into the innermost being? Are you walking with Christ in that way? Is that your daily pattern of longing for truth? I, wanted, I came across it, it's been some time ago, but I came across it again. It's, it's the, the testimony, really, of Jonathan Edwards. And, it, and it's, he, he describes his conversion. And the reason I want to read this, just as a segue into this, is, is I'm talking right now about truth setting us free, but it has to be truth in the heart. And that when we are walking with Christ, we see the world differently. We're no longer seeing it based on how people are treating us and how we feel, but we're seeing it through the lens of Scripture, right? And and there's a place where Jonathan Edwards says that he began, in reading Scripture, to see the loveliness and the beauty of Jesus Christ. He says that um, he began to go on walks and contemplation and prayer, and he says, this I know not how to express otherwise than by a calm, sweet abstraction of soul from all the concerns of this world. And he goes on to say, not long after this first experience, he talked to his father about it, and then after he and his father talked, his dad was a pastor, he kind of shared his story. He went out into the father's pasture, so the father was a pastor, and he walked in his pasture, very hard to do, And he said, I began to notice that the sky and the clouds, there came into my mind so sweet a sense of the glorious glorious majesty and grace of God as I know not how to express. And he continues, that the appearance of everything was altered. It sounds like he was doing drugs, and he wasn't. He says, there seemed to be as it were a calm, sweet cast or appearance of divine glory in almost everything. God's excellency, his wisdom, his purity, his love, seemed to appear in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, in the clouds, in the sky, in the grass, in the flowers, in the trees, in the water, in all nature. And then he goes on to say this is interesting. And and nothing among all the works of nature was so sweet to me as thunder and lightning, although formerly nothing had been so terrible to me. Now when I first read that, or as I was preparing with that quote, I thought, who's afraid of thunder and lightning anymore? Anybody? I mean, you hear it, it's fine. Um, So I wasn't sure how to express it, and then this morning at the office, um, I had gotten everything ready to leave, and I had to go turn off the office lights, and it's right by the door, and I walked up to the door, and the light, before I even got there, the whole, all the electricity is shut off. And about one second later, there was a flash, and the loudest thunder I've ever heard, And I backed up. I thought I was about to melt. I think God was giving me a beautiful illustration. You should be much afraid. Thunder and lightning are loud and and scary unless I'm found in Christ. And then I can have the confidence to see these things. Now, what's the point of this? Reality is distorted to those of us who are not walking in Christ. And for Jonathan Edwards, his testimony, he's saying it wasn't always this way, but in the times where he was communing with God in Christ, For him, even reality looked better and more rich. But so often we miss that view because our hearts are stuck and muddled in false reality, which is what we're doing when we we lie about people. We're, We're creating false realities. We're seeing the world through a lens of an orphan, through the lens of a person who doesn't know they're loved by their Heavenly Father. And we're distorting everything, and it's especially sinful in this particular commandment when we do it with our speech, when we talk about other people. And so the the answer to this commandment is not stop talking about people, though that would be wonderful. It is that, but it's far more. It's do you see your desire to gossip or to slander or to shed any information, whether it seems real or not, as a as an indication that you don't love God or rather you don't believe you're loved by God because every one of the sins in the second half of the Ten Commandments stem from a misunderstanding of the first half love the Lord your God with all your heart soul strength and mind the second one Jesus says is like the first love your neighbor as yourself and Paul in Galatians goes even further the commandment of the law is summed up love your neighbor As yourself he's assuming that you can't do that without the gospel without Jesus so it's a diagnostic tool then isn't it if I'm wanting to talk about somebody even if I restrain myself I'm in the midst of this very sin there's a proverb here we go proverb um, nine, whatever proverb 10 I believe 18 says the one who conceals hatred has lying lips Isn't that fascinating that that I'm even if I can figure out a way to conceal my hatred and master the art of appearance, I still have lying lips. So the question is, what's going on in the heart? I want to get very practical, and I I hope that I'm sure it'll bug you. That's okay, sermons do. If you have an issue with somebody, that's not okay. It just isn't. We are not free to go, you know, I just don't like that person. Sorry. We're not free to say, I don't like that type of people. They're just all bad people. It's not okay. We can't say, I just, it's not that I don't like them, I just don't want to be around them. That's not okay. Now, please, listen, someone's going to go, okay, what about boundaries and abuse? Okay, I'm talking about normal situations where I have been offended by somebody, though they're not dangerous to me, And so I distance myself either geographically or at least emotionally. That's not okay. In fact, if I believe they've sinned, and this is the rub, this is the thing this church, we all don't do, and I don't think any church does, so I don't feel bad, is we don't actually take Matthew 18 seriously. If I see somebody in sin, according to Matthew 18, my job is to go and tell them, you're in sin. Or I'm bearing a, I am spreading a false witness, in a sense, by my silence. Right? Because if they ever, someone ever rescues that person in their sin and they see Jesus, well, where was Mike this whole time? You know, or whoever the person is. I always have to choose those names, that nobody. But where was my brother? So if you think you see a sin, it's interesting how quickly we want to tell their people, even the authorities. Right? We'll go to the session with this soon. This is bad. No. My job is to go to the person, to say, I saw this. And and lovingly restore them. Now let me be clear. That's always after you have forgiven them. That's why when Jesus says it, Peter immediately says, how many times do I have to forgive? And it's 7 times 77. Here's the order. The person is in sin. Whether it harms you or not, prior to going to them, you have to forgive. Even if they don't ask for it. In Christ. But then you go to them, and you lovingly tell them, and you risk ruining the relationship. That's okay. Cuz you have a relationship with Jesus and you long for their restoration, right? And then if they don't respond, then you can go to the elders. But here's what I'm or to others. But here's the premise I'm really putting out there. I bet most of us just don't care. I bet most of us are just mad. And and ironically, often it may not even be sin. It just might be our own insecurity, our own problem. But regardless of what's causing it, we are not allowed to feel hatred in our hearts or express it in our lives about people. This is what devours the church. And by the way, this is why non-Christians hate the church. Why would I go into that area and be devoured? Why would I want to be among a people who are waiting to pounce on my imperfections? Oh, to me, they're going to smile and welcome me in, but behind my back, I'm going to be talked about. Are we that kind of church? I don't think Grace Presbyterian Church is particularly worse at this, and I hope you don't hear me saying that. I think I and you struggle deeply with the truth. So, what's our rescue? What's our hope? Wow, we've got a few more minutes. Bear with me. Here's the good news there was one person, and we read about him in John 8, who can talk and give testimony as one person, and it's Jesus. And Jesus says, I bear testimony about myself and my Father, and it's true. Now, what is true? Here's what Jesus is saying, and here's what you say you believe. Number one, that you have broken the ninth commandment, and you have broken the tenth, and you have broken the eighth, and one through seven, and you do it all the time. And every sin that you do is breaking all ten of them simultaneously in some ways. I can talk to you about that later. I can't unpack it right now. Right? So think about it, even in in James. You know, we slander our brother. Then he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? You do not have so you murder. He's equating slander and murder. So there really is a connection to these sins. We need a Savior. Right? Do you long for this Jesus? That in Matthew 8, when he expressed why he came, the Jews, many of the Jews said, I believe, and they wanted him. Is that your rescue? Because if it is, if that's your hope, then all of a sudden scriptures like love covers over a multitude of sins will make much more sense to you than to me. But what's the actual process? Here's the process. If I said to you, how is your quiet time going? First of all, you're going to hate me because that terminology is from the 80s. You're going to say, Ryan, I much prefer to use the term fellowship or Bible reading. Okay, so we get past the, the initial thing. So then, some of you hate me now because you're not reading your Bible. But some of you are, and you're ready to tell me that you are. But here's the question I want, the answer I want to hear pretty early on in our discussion I'm repenting when I pray. Because when I come before the Lord, I am bearing true witness about myself. And what is that? Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, I am prone to unbelief. I am prone to longing for the things of this world. I I don't think you like Whatever your particular sin is, that should be the first thing out of our mouths when we come before the Lord. And like the Scooby-Doo thing, when the mask is ripped off, all of a sudden our mask can be ripped off in our time with the Lord of devotion and repentance. But it frees you. It frees us. Because psychologically, you know it's true. You know you're living a lie. We know we're putting on a show if we're not confessing our sins. And this is not just something I'm making up. This is something that the saints throughout time will tell you. The guys that are the godliest men and women have a heart of repentance. And they're constantly expressing their own frailty before the Lord. And they're growing in Christ as they're being honest about their need of a Savior. And they're no longer just acknowledging their sin, but they're hating it. And they're praying that the Spirit would open up their eyes to the, the nature of that particular sin. And by the way, when we talk about those sins, it's not just, though it includes addictions and, and partying and all the, the technicolor things and pornography and all the very serious sins of our life, but it really does include interpersonal things like strife and envy, etc., doesn't it? And are we living that life of repentance? So I think the ninth command is the way we embrace it is by going before the Lord, bearing true testimony about ourselves. I'm a sinner. But here's what's beautiful. You can't even get the words out of your mouth before Jesus shows up and says, Well, well we're in the courtroom. See, you're not a sinner here. We're in a courtroom, a court of law, and you are completely righteous here. My robe covers you let's bear a true witness now together you are a son you are a daughter you are completely loved your father cherishes you and he has cherished you from the foundation of time and so then you you realize that you have a new nature and that Christ has clothed you and outside of the courtroom in the family dining hall with the father with the spirit with Jesus, you can freely explain all the mistakes you've made in a very safe environment because you are already legally saved. It is true of you. So now repentance becomes joyful, not weird. And your Father tells you and promises you through the agency of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, I am making you whole again. And if that is not true of us, we have to question, do we know That Father, do we know that Savior? Do we know that reality? Are you someone that is backbiting? Are you someone that has a vendetta list in your mind? Are you someone shutting people out? Are you judging people? If so, that's showing you you need to go back to Jesus yet again and say, Lord, show me that I am those people, that I am the one. Fill me with your Spirit that I would feel love toward them. And forgiveness toward the people that have harmed me. And that my word should be seasoned with grace and truth and love. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, I don't know if I talk for 45 more minutes if it could do any good because only your spirit can open my eyes and the eyes of my dear brothers and sisters. Father, we have grown accustomed to talking about each other and saying that because it's sort of true, it's okay, and quite frankly, we're just trying to help anyway. When in reality, what we're doing is finding comfort in the fact that at least for the moment, we're not the ones being discussed. At least for the moment, we're not the ones on trial. But Jesus, you show a much more beautiful way. And I pray through the power of the gospel that we would live in you, Christ, and we would love one another, warts and all, that, Lord, if we were to draw a caricature, no matter how awesome we were at it, we would draw it to where all of the beauty of the person is on display. I pray we would see people through that lens because our planks have been removed. That we would love each other. And that, Lord, when we correct each other, it would be out of such love that the other person would just accept our care for them. They would know we cherish them. And as others approach us in our sin, that we would love them and receive it well. That we would be a community not pretending to have it together, but a community that's showing each other the love of Christ. Holy Spirit, will you make this so for Grace Presbyterian Church and in your church universal. Jesus Christ, it's in your name we pray. Amen.